Proverbs chapter 3. I was talking to someone a little bit before the service and uh, discussing the particular verse in the Bible and and commented, you know, I, I, I do not understand how any Christian wouldn't enjoy studying God's Word. I, 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 I just don't get it. I, I don't know why anybody would ever have to urge, beg, plead with Christians to be students of the Word because there's absolutely nothing like it in all the world. And I made the comment, you know, uh, I'd, I'd always uh, thought, and of course back before I was saved, I didn't care about reading anything really unless it was a fishing magazine or something like that. But uh, uh, I'd always thought how much I would enjoy reading uh, uh, about the Civil War or reading the works of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, a lot of different things that uh, would be enjoyable but I would I don't have the time to do that because it take away time from the Bible and I don't even get to spend as much time in the Bible as I would like because uh, you could just lock me up in the office and throw away the key and uh, as long as you fed me once in a while I'd be perfectly content you know I uh, I'm, that's vacation to me but don't tell anybody I said that but <laughs> yeah. I, I just hung myself with that, didn't I? Proverbs chapter number 3, and we, we begin tonight in verse number 13. We're going down through verse number 20. And in these verses, Solomon reminds us of the value of wisdom. And uh, if I gave a title to the message, and I must for the sake of the website, uh, the title is The Wealth of Wisdom. And uh, this is what Solomon is doing, is showing us the value of wisdom and the fact that it never decreases, and, and also that it provides great personal benefits. So we're going to look at each verse in this section and uh, hopefully examine ourselves as to our attitude about wisdom. Now, there are three lines of thought that I want you to think about tonight. Verse number 13 he makes a general observation. Then in verse 14 through 18, we see great examples. And then the last two verses of the section is a glorious reminder. So let's start with the general observation in verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Now, the very first word in this verse ought to get our attention because everybody's concerned about being happy. I don't, you know, we've got different ideas about how that might happen, but regardless of who you talk to, uh, people want to be happy. That's the one thing they want out of life above everything else. And uh, as I said, some might think, well, you know, this would make me happy or that would make me happy, but everybody wants happiness. And the fact of the matter is... We never find happiness by looking for happiness. If that's the focus, we'll never find it. Now, certainly we ought to pursue it, but we ought to pursue it in the right way. And, uh, and, the, and the Bible is very clear about that. Happiness comes as a result 
of doing what God tells us to do. In other words, you can't really be happy without being holy or concerned about holiness because holiness produces happiness. And, uh, and I want you to notice here that he mentions both wisdom and understanding. And, uh, and we need to understand the difference between the two. Joseph Parker, who was a famous congregationalist minister uh, in, in England, and even even back before Spurgeon, uh, uh, Parker was uh, probably the most highly thought of preacher in all of England at that time, and admired by by, by all, even the famous preacher such as Spurgeon. In fact, Warren Wiersbe uh, wrote a book. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it had to do with the with the giants of the pulpit, I believe, or something like that. And uh, he gives a brief uh, biography of, uh, of some of the great preachers of the past. And, and uh, Warren made the statement that, you know, were he to go to heaven right, right after, you know, hearing Spurgeon preach, he would want to be the path right over to hear Mr. Parker uh, preach. And so here is a man that made a great impact on a lot of people. And he made this statement. He said, Wisdom is knowledge turned to its highest uses. Don't forget that. Wisdom is knowledge turned to its highest uses. Understanding, he says, is the mental faculty trained to the highest effectiveness. And as I said at the very beginning of a study in Proverbs when we talked about wisdom, had one entire lesson devoted to that subject, and when we think about wisdom, you know, knowledge is one thing. Knowledge is gathering the facts. But wisdom is knowing how to apply those facts. And the fact of the matter is, and it's true, I think, of most people, they don't know the difference between wisdom and knowledge. And those that we might term as smart people are not necessarily wise people. I was talking to someone yesterday about a situation and uh, the fact is, our prisons are full of people that are exceptionally smart, but not very wise. They're smart, but not very wise. You know, sometimes whenever we look at certain politicians that I could name and won't, uh, and we look at them and we think, man, they've got to be crazy. They've got to be out of their mind to do what they're doing because it's so counterproductive to the welfare of our nation. What You know, they're crazy or something. No, they're not. They're smarter than what you give them credit for. It's just that they have an agenda to bring about the downfall of our nation. That That's what it's all about. And so they're smart, but they don't have any wisdom. And so we need to understand the difference between the two. J.R. Miller, uh, one of my top five uh, favorite writers, made this statement. He says, Wisdom is not merely knowledge. A man may know so much that he is a walking encyclopedia and yet not be happy. He may pursue knowledge into all of its nooks and hiding places, dig it out of the rocks, extract it from the minerals, gather it from flower and plant and tree, and draw it down from among the stars and yet not find happiness. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. He has found wisdom who has learned to live well 
to live well is to live in is to live according to God's laws. So you'll notice that Solomon does not just mention wisdom, but rather wisdom and understanding together. And it's important because those two things go together if we're going to live a life well lived. But notice something else here. And I just noticed this for the first time the other day, and I was reading this, and it just all of a sudden caught my attention. Notice he talks about finding wisdom. Uh, That indicates you have to seek it, right? Because it doesn't come naturally. So we have to find it. That means we've got to seek it if we're going to find it because we don't have it. But notice when he talks about understanding, he doesn't say finding understanding. He says getting understanding. That indicates that we have to secure it. In, In other words, that there has to be an effort. There has to be hard work. And that's what learning requires. If you're if you're a student in school, or if you're a, a student of the Bible, or whatever it is, if you're going to some vocational training school somewhere, whatever it is you're going to learn, if you're going to if you're going to do good at it, it's going to require you to burn the midnight oil. It's going to be hard to apply yourself to learning. And that's what he's talking about. When it comes to understanding, that's something we've got to get. We've got to get it. and We're going to have to work at it. But when it comes to wisdom, we need to find it. That is, we need to seek it. And uh, if you look at verse 11 and 12, we talked about this last week, and it talks about correction. It talks about uh, the, the chastisement of God's children. And so whenever you think about that, uh, then it pictures life as a school. And, and I, I've often referred to the school of life and the school of Christ. And it's as though every one of us is enrolled in school. And we need times of correction. And God does just exactly that. But notice here, moving from that thought to where we are tonight, It's as though he's telling us here that the first and the best lesson to learn is that we need wisdom. We need wisdom that can only come from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 30 tells us that Christ is made unto us the wisdom of God. Now it mentions several other things. He's made unto us righteousness and sanctification and what have you. But he's made unto us the wisdom of God. So that is the only source of true wisdom. So if I'm going to find wisdom, I have to seek wisdom, and I have to go to the right source because you can't find it just anywhere. You have to go to Christ. Why? Because Christ is the wisdom of of God. Now, look at verse number 14 and down through verse number 18. After this general observation, I want you to notice some great examples. Some great examples. And he starts out in verse 14 and 15 by making some comparisons. And he says, verse 14, for the merchandise of it, speaking about wisdom, the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Now notice wisdom is compared and contrasted with what? Worldly 
possessions. It's likened unto merchandise. And especially whenever we think about the times in which he lived. In fact, whenever you think about the life of Solomon, especially with all of his great wealth and so forth, and we know back then that people traveled to faraway places. I mean, they, you know, places they had never been before. They put forth effort that they had uh, never expended before in order to go and to, to get gain. And they would, whether it was silver or gold or rubies or whatever it was, spices and things of that nature, they would go somewhere where those items could be located and bring them back to where they lived to where nobody had them. And there's a market for it, you see. In other words, there was a lot of effort put into that. Now, when we look at the world that we live in, in the light of these verses here, we can see just how far off track the world is because very few people value wisdom as much as silver and gold and precious stones. I mean, we all can think of a lot of people that have a covetous spirit. We can all think of a lot of people, you know, that have made money their God. We can all think a lot of, of a lot of people that are never satisfied unless they're getting the material things that they want. But how many people do you know that, that are that hungry for wisdom? And, and I, I mean, to the point that it shows. Uh, you can tell it from their conversation. You can see it in their behavior. And it's very obvious to you that there is a person that is seeking wisdom. And, and, and the, the whole problem is, is we have a different set of values, you know, as Christians than the world does. So while the world is trading in these goods, silver, gold, and rubies, uh, we as Christians, we make merchandise, as it were, out of wisdom. So he makes this general statement regarding these examples but then notice he moves right on to give us here some specific things about why wisdom is so valuable. Uh, look at verse 16 through 18, and these are the compensations. We have the comparisons and now the compensations, and there, there are at least six different things that he mentions, specific reasons why we need wisdom. First of all, verse 16 Wisdom prolongs our days. Notice it says, length of days is in her right hand. Anybody here concerned about living longer? Well, I'll bet just about everybody. I mean, if the doctor told you tomorrow you've only got a few weeks to live, I mean, that would trouble all of us, right? Because why? Because we want to live longer than that, you see. I mean, you know, we're, we want to go to heaven naturally, but we're like, you know, like the fellow that didn't raise his hand when the preacher asked how many of you want to go to heaven. And, and so he confronted the man after the service said, I know she didn't raise your hand. Uh, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah. But he said, I thought she was getting up a load to go right now. And so, you know, we all want to go to heaven, but we're not in a hurry to get there, I guess, because all of us are concerned about our life. And, you know, if you go to the doctor and he says, look, here's, here's what your physical problem is, but, but, I've got a new medicine just out on the market. And if you if you take this, if you take this, it'll keep you alive. 
And, and I, I don't know, I don't know who would take that medicine home, put it up in the cabinet, and just leave it there. We'd take our daily dose every day. Why? Because we want to live longer. Now, notice what he says: length of days is in her right hand. And the Bible is very clear that wickedness shortens our life, but wisdom lengthens our life. For one thing, for one thing, the ways of wisdom are a lot safer than the ways of wickedness. I mean, if, if, if you just look at it from the standpoint of lifestyle, you think of someone without wisdom out here drinking or taking drugs and crowsing around and so forth. I, I mean, that's really a pretty dumb thing to do. Uh, and, and anybody with any wisdom wouldn't want to do that. Why? Because you know it's going to injure your health. It's going to shorten your life. Why would you, why would you want to do that? Whereas wisdom teaches us that our body is the temple of God and that we're to take care of it and so forth. But also there's another factor that enters into this. Not only our manner of life, but whenever you turn over and consider the fruit of the Spirit, for example, and you look at all of those nine different things that he mentions, and you, if, if you just focus on one, I, be, I believe, by the way, that having a genuine love in your heart for God and your fellow man, I think that'll help you live longer. I think you'll be better off physically if you love people. You'll be better off physically if you have a joyful spirit instead of a state of depression. But you go all the way down through that list and you get to the last one, which is temperance. Temperance, And if we are temperate in all things, it's certainly something that is conducive to longevity. And so, you know, taking, taking God, as it were, out of the picture, in other words, in other words, looking at it from the standpoint that even if God doesn't take my life prematurely because of my sinfulness, even if He doesn't do that, remember I've said sin has its own built-in punishment? It does. And whenever we sin against God, when we refuse to walk in wisdom and, and we take the way of folly, it's going to shorten our life. So wisdom prolongs our days. But look at the next part of verse number 16. We see another compensation. And that's not only prolonged days, but possessions. And in her left hand, riches. Boy, so many people misunderstand the subject of wealth. You know, they talk about money as though money is the root of all evil, and it's not. There's not anything wrong with money. It's not money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And uh, not anything wrong, look, not anything wrong with being rich. There's something wrong with trying to become rich. The Bible tells us to seek not riches. In other words, that's not to be our primary focus. That's not what we're to focus on. But God chooses in His great wisdom, and we'll get to, to that at the end of our study tonight, in His great wisdom, God chooses, for whatever reason, God chooses to enrich some people to where they have an abundance. And one of the very best uh, lessons, and you might say warning for Israel, was over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And this is a verse you ought to mark down and remember because it's true not only of Israel, it's true of us also. He said to Israel, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. 
So that tells you right there there's not anything wrong with wealth if God gives you the power to get it. But notice we need to recognize He is the giver. And it says that He may establish His covenant which He swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And He warned them over and over again that if they forgot that, they, they, they would get in deep trouble. And there are a lot of people today that are living in poverty simply because of their stupid ways. I've heard people quote Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. You know, and I'm, I mean, they would strut around as proud as a peacock, you know, that, oh, I don't worry about anything because I know God's going to take care of me. I know God's going to supply my needs. And at the same time, that they're boasting about that and, and trying to claim that promise, they're living in active rebellion against God and acting like fools instead of wise men. Now, let me tell you something. That verse is not for everybody. That promise is not for everybody. If you keep it in the context, you'll see that it had to do with the people that had given to Paul's ministry above and beyond that, that, that they were able I mean, here's people that were generous and loving and kind. And so he says to them, God shall supply all of your need. And it's just like Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. But there are people that are living in poverty, or if not in poverty, if not in poverty, they're in deep financial trouble. And you and I both that know that there are certain people that are always now. It's possible for any of us to to get in a in a bad way financially. I mean, things can happen over which you don't have any control. And by the way, there are times God lets that happen, and it's for our own good. I think about the Apostle Paul. He was a man went through all of these difficulties. He said, you know, when he when he talked about being shipwrecked. And I mean, here he is shipwrecked out of here in the place, and he was hungry, didn't have anything to eat. Uh, and here's a man that is in the center of God's will, a man that loves God with all of his heart, and yet God allowed him to get into situation. Uh, he said, and hunger's often, in peril often, in fasting's often. I mean, here, here's a man that d- didn't have anything momentarily in his life. So that could happen to any of us. But some people make a habit out of it. And it doesn't make any difference how much they get. It's it's suddenly gone. And all, all of a sudden they find themselves back with financial problems. And it all boils down to this one fact. They're not walking in wisdom. And, and notice here, this, this promise that he's given here, that in, in the left hand of wisdom, he tells us here, there are riches. In other words, we're going to prosper if we walk wisely. And so those that walk in wisdom, walk in the ways of the Lord, God blesses to the point that some are wealthy. So whatever you do, don't ever resent someone because they're rich, and nor should you ever envy people like that. That's that's just not your business. If God wants to make them rich, that's God's business. He has a reason for it, and you ought to be... You ought to be thankful for them. Now, now notice the third thing. We're still talking about the compensations of wisdom. Prolonged days, possessions, 
But here in verse number 16, the very next statement we see here, privilege, or I guess you could even use the word prestige, because he says, and honor, honor. That word honor, the Hebrew word honor that's used here, means glory or splendor or dignity, reputation, reverence. In other words, it's talking about somebody that is honored by others. And uh, we ought to care whether or not others respect us. In other words, we ought to care about our name. We ought to care about our reputation because it's of great value. And, uh, and the way for us to, to make a good name for ourselves is to walk in wisdom. Verse 17, I've got to hurry. Verse number 17, number 4, is pleasantness. It says, Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And that word simply means delightfulness. Those that walk in wisdom are going to enjoy pleasures uh, that others can only dream about. And so uh, that's why I often say a child of God in the will of God is the happiest person on the face of the earth. And, and really, when you look, stop and think about it, they're the only ones that, that really can be truly happy. Because unsafe people don't know anything about real happiness. And people that are saved and out of the will of God, they're not going to have the happiness that, that they could. And so here we see that one of the results of wisdom is pleasantness. And, I, and if I had time to talk about it, you know, I think that pleasantness not only has to do maybe with us, but uh, these are the kind of people, the pleasant people that you want to be around. So others are pleasant as a result of being pleasant around these people. Now, verse 17 again, number 5, notice here's another compensation, and that's peace. And all her paths are peace. All her paths are peace. I had a terribly difficult time with this lesson tonight because every time I'd get to a, 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 a phrase like this, I realized that there is much more there than what I'm able to talk about. And boy, when we get to the last two verses, that is more true than ever. And so I have to be brief, and I know I do, but there's so much here. All of her paths are peace. I love what old Matthew Henry wrote about this. And boy, I mean, this is right on target. He said, There is not only peace in the end, but peace in the way. Not only in the way of religion in general, but in the particular paths of that way, in all her paths, all of the several acts and instances and duties of it. One does not embitter what the other sweetens as it is with the alloys of this world. Now think about that for a little while. Notice paths are in the plural, many different paths in life. And whenever we stop and think about it, we, you know, uh, we, we take this path that has to do with preparation for our vocation. We take this other path and it has to do with our vocation and it, it, might, it might branch off into several different ways. And so whenever we look at all of our various responsibilities, we see there are different paths. One leads us to church and Christian service. One to domestic issues in the home. The other one is vocational. And so we've got all of these different paths in life. But notice what he's saying. In all of her paths are peace. 
And what Matthew Henry is trying to drive home there, whenever we're walking wisely, we don't resent one path and and enjoy the other one. Like, wow, you know, this is wonderful, this is great. I've got real peace along this path, but but not so much that one. All of the paths of life. And that's why I say a lot of times that we need to forget about trying to divide things up into the sacred and the secular because for the Christian, we ought to think of all ground as holy ground. Everything, everything has spiritual significance. And so regardless of what else you have or, you know, all of the things of the world, if you don't have peace, you're going to be miserable. Uh, Elvis Presley, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, John Bellucci, I mean, boy, the list goes on and on, right? People that had the world of the tale. They had all kinds of money. They had fame and, and all of these things. But yet they were miserable. Why? Because they didn't have peace. But you can have peace. Now notice number 6, verse 18. Notice he says she, and uh, he's, you know, he's personifying wisdom. Uh, and notice as a she, she is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy. And that's the key to this verse. Happy is everyone that retaineth her. So we see that another compensation is what? Pleasure, because the word happy here simply means advance, progress. It means literally to pronounce happy, blessed. And that's what he's saying here. Happy is everyone that retaineth her. So, you know, if we're, listen, if we're going to be an effective witness for Christ, other people have to see the difference that he makes in our life, right? I, I mean, if I come up and, you know, I offer you something, you know, that, that's not evident in my life, you'll never see the possibility of that. In, in other words, if I come up to you and, uh, you know, let's say you're standing there and you've got a half a pint of Jim Beam in your hand. I've got a half a pint of Jack Daniels in my hand and we're both alcoholics and I come up to you and I tell you, look, you need to get off of that stuff and, and, and I can tell you how to get off of that. You know, there's, you, you, don't, you don't have to be enslaved by alcohol. Do you, do you think they'd listen to me? Because I'm in the same boat they're in. So if I'm going to if I'm going to be effective in my witness to others and and tell them about the glories of Christ and the difference that He can make, they've got to see that in my own life, and so that requires wisdom on our part. And notice He's talking about being happy. He's talking about the, the pleasure, uh, being blessed, and, and an unhappy Christian is about the worst possible advertisement for Christianity. In, in fact, when you think about unhappy Christian, that's really a contradiction of terms. As, as I think it was, uh, uh, what's his name? Chuck Swindoll said, you know, uh, that's ridiculous. And, and that's about the best way I know to put it. That's just ridiculous to think about an unhappy Christian. There's no reason for it because wisdom brings happiness in our life. So uh, there are six compensations that we've talked about tonight that Solomon mentions and showing us that there's every reason why we ought to desire uh, wisdom. Now, going on to verse number 19 now, the last two verses of this section, and here we see 
a glorious reminder. Verse 19, the Lord by wisdom. Now, we've been talking about man, you know, but in man's need for wisdom. But now we're talking about God and God's possession of wisdom. It says, The Lord by wisdom has founded the earth, and by understanding hath He established the heavens. By His knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. Now, after showing us the benefits of wisdom, He shows us the basis for wisdom. In other words, He takes us to the source. And notice here, He relates wisdom to the works of God and believe me when I say that there are profound truths recorded here. I mean profound and glorious. And I was sitting at my desk this afternoon and thinking about those two verses and and thought, you know, somebody somebody needs to preach a sermon out of those two verses there. Uh, because when we stop and think about it, it's amazing. We look at creation, for example, and we just stand amazed, right? I mean, at least I do. Whether it's a picture of the Grand Canyon or, you know, whether it's looking out into space or just maybe at night and looking up at the starry sky. And we are so impressed by creation, the handiwork of God. But we need to understand that there is only one true wisdom for both God and man. There's not one kind of wisdom that God has and another kind that we have. And I say that because the so-called wisdom of the world is not true wisdom. So if, if we have wisdom, we have in our possession the very same thing that God has. Wisdom is wisdom, whether God has it or whether we have it. And my whole point and what makes it so difficult to go on is this fact. You know, we live in a world that sometimes it seems like it's whirling madly out of control. I mean, it just seems like everything has gone awry and we wring our hands and there's sweat on our brow and we don't know what to do. We worry and we fret. And we need to be mindful of the fact that God's in control. Over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 16, he talks about the fact that God created everything that there is, and then in verse number 17, he says, tells us, and by him all things consist. In other words, the same God who by wisdom, can you imagine the wisdom it takes to be able to create a universe like this? And we look at it and we don't even touch the hem of the garment. We don't even get close. We can't even begin to imagine the how intricate all of the details of the universe. We think about the, you know, the distance to the sun and the speed and the rotation and all of that, and then to multiply that by millions. And God did all of that. It takes wisdom to do that. And the same God that created all of this is now controlling all of this. And I don't know about you, but that just, boy, that encourages me to know that as I'm walking in the ways of God, then I'm walking in wisdom. And as a result of that, I'm able to apply 
the very same thing to my manner of life that God used to create the universe. And, and when I get frustrated because it th- seems like everything's going wrong and I get fearful because I'm not, you know, I, it looks like things are going to be bad tomorrow or next week or whatever, to just be reminded that an all-wise Creator has His hand on the controls. He's got it all right there under his thumb. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret. He's in control of the universe and your life, even those details of your life that maybe you never even imagined. God's still in control. I'm glad we worship a God like that. I'm so thankful for his word that that tells us so much about uh, His goodness and His greatness and His grace. And Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in verse number 21. Thank you again so much for being here. I hope you go away encouraged uh, uh, in the things of the Lord and uh, that God will bless you and yours.